Thank you for joining us online today. If you have a prayer request or a testimony you would like to share with us, please text HOTL to 97000. If you would like to partner with us in giving, you can text the dollar amount to 84321. Thank you. We hope you enjoy the message and have a great day. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. How's everybody in the house doing today? Man, it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. My, uh, my wife and I were at uh, Heart of the City Church in Coeur d'Alene last weekend, but, uh, and as awesome as, uh, as it was, it is so good to be home. All right, so if we not met, my name is Joel Eklund. I'm the executive pastor here at the house, and uh, I'm going to kick off our new series, which is uh, titled Things That Matter to God. Things That Matter to God. If you're taking notes this morning, I'd have you please write down kingdom-minded. Kingdom-minded. I'm going to take you really quickly to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be, uh, we're going to go through quite a lot of scripture today as usual, uh, but we'll start in, uh, in verse 30. And it says this, but if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I love this last, this last verse that says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. How many of you have ever found the words of difficult to be, or excuse me, the words of Jesus to be difficult? You know, okay, I'm not going to go there just yet, but how many of you are aware? How many of you are aware that there are probably oftentimes your priorities don't actually match up with God's priorities? As much as I would love for God to just put the stamp of approval on all the plans that I have for my life, the Bible actually says that he has a plan for my life. He didn't create me unto no purpose, and he didn't create me unto myself. He actually created me for himself. See, we live in a time where it seems that the chief pursuit is that of happiness at all costs. I'm gonna emphasize that last part, at all costs. No matter what I have to break, no matter what I have to change, no matter what I have to steal or beg or borrow, the highest goal of most people's lives is I want to be happy. Can I tell you? That you were not born to be happy, you were born to be holy. That's a hard thing to say to a group full of Americans. Because our founding, one of our founding documents says what? That it is a God-given, I'm paraphrasing, right? It's a God-given right that we have to pursue happiness. That's true. That's true. But it's your God-given identity to pursue holiness. How many of you are happy right now? 
How many of you are always happy? Can I tell you a, a, a deep truth? You do not always have to be happy, and that's okay. I'm going to say it to this side of the room, too. You do not always have to be happy, and that's okay. To the young person in the room, you do not always have to be entertained, and that's okay. Okay. See, God wants you to be happy, but within the context of holiness. See, we were literally created for communion with God, meaning that I will be at my happiest when I am in right standing with him. See, a lot of times we think that getting the right things or loving the right person will create lasting happiness. Can I ask you a question in this room, those of you who are married? Did you marry, how many of you married your best friend, you would say? How many of you are always happy with them? <laughs> Guys, I got to tell somebody, happiness is not a pursuit, it's a result. Happiness is not a pursuit, it's a result. We are pursuing a fleeing and fleeting feeling. Happiness does not remain. Joy can remain, but happiness does not remain. If you are pursuing happiness, friend, you're going to be running a long time. Because you'll have to jump from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. I was happy when I got a new car. And then a few weeks later, it was just a car. I was happy when my wife and I got into our first house. A couple years later, it was just a house. You know, it's really, it's interesting. In this season, our, our family has started to kind of outgrow our house. And when we first moved in to that home, I, I thought to myself, we will never use all this space. <laughs> never. Not possible. Because at the time we moved in, it was Lindsay and I. It was just the two of us. She was pregnant, but we, we moved into a three-bedroom, two-bath house. And I thought to myself, what do I do with the other bedroom? Like, I mean, you keep one bedroom as a guest bedroom, and then you do, what do you do? Like, do I put, is this where I put all my guitars? Like, is this where I put all my music equipment? And now, three kids and 12 years later, I look at that house and, and sometimes the same thing that I blessed it for, I curse it for today. Because it used to be so spacious, but now it's so cramped. The thing that used to bring me happiness, because I would look around and be like, man, this is mine. I'm like, gosh, man, we need to upgrade. What brings you happiness in this season won't bring you happiness in the next. So stop pursuing a feeling as though it's God. See, if things bring happiness, then why is it that we're the wealthiest nation in the world, but we are also the most medicated for depression and anxiety? If stuff brings happiness, every single person in the United States should be just absolutely happy. Because if you live here, you're in the top 10% of wealth in the entire world. And yet, by and large, you look around at our culture and what are we? Miserable. I want to I take you to the book of Micah. 
We're going to talk about this kind of back and forth between Micah the prophet and what most scholars believe is the king of Israel at that time. Starting in, in chapter 6, verse 6, he says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give him my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? This is Micah's response. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? See, this discourse in Micah, due to the extravagant nature of the proposed offerings, is the assumption that what this king is saying is he's saying, what can I give to God? How do I buy access? How do I buy his presence? Micah very simply tells him, the only way to have access to the things of God is to go in through the correct door. Listen, if you knock on the door of my home, I'll open it. If you come through the window of my home, you might find a gun in your face. There are two access points, but one of them's legal, one of them's not. Sorry, this, I would never preach this in L.A. <laughs> this is an Idaho sermon. All right. The prophet reminds the king that access is granted by way of adherence to his covenant. See, sometimes what we think is that being American or conservative means that we are following some kind of biblical example of living. I'll be honest and say that while there is a lot, there is a lot of Bible in the foundation of our country, in a lot of ways, the way of Jesus is sometimes antithetical to the way of America. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6 real quick. It says, we're going to go to the very last verse. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Think back on that verse. How many of us today are already worrying about tomorrow? How many of you have already thought about what you have to do when you get to work tomorrow? How many of you have thought, I mean, I, I did, Maybe I'm just, I've been, I've been really busy in January, but I didn't see February coming. Like all of a sudden I felt like I turned around and it was February 1st. I'm already, like in our planning for our church, because we try to you know, make sure that things are done excellently and in order and all that, we are already talking about Encounter Conference 2025. For those of you who still write checks, I'm still getting used to writing 24. I've ruined a couple checks already by doing 23. It feels like 2021 January was a year ago. But in my mind, I'm already thinking about things that are happening a year from now. See, how many of you have already thought about March? How many of you have already thought about taxes? Oh, dude, we never become more libertarian than tax season. <laughs> Taxation is theft. Anyway. <laughs> calm down. If there's any IRS agents watching this, I'm sorry. Geez, calm down. See, in some ways, we have become so skilled at thinking of the future that we sacrifice the present on its altar. 
You know what we're really bad at? Actually, I'll tell you what we're really good at. We're really good at anticipating. We are really bad at celebrating. You ever think about that? Think about Christmas, right? Do you realize the song, The 12 Days of Christmas, isn't 12 days leading up to Christmas? Is anybody aware of this? That there's actually a Christmas season that most of us don't ever even think about that happens at Christmas and then going forward for 12 days? No, but for most of us, what we do is we anticipate, we anticipate, we anticipate, we anticipate, and then December 26th, we're just confused and filled with cheese. We're really, really good at anticipating, and we're just quite bad at celebrating. We're always thinking about the next thing so much so that we can't hold the present in our hands and actually view it as a present. We can't hold the present in our hands and view it as a gift because we're already throwing that gift behind us. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Once again, I need somebody in the room to know you're not always going to be happy, and that's okay. In fact, it would cheapen the experience of happiness if you were constantly happy. How many of you in here enjoy cake? Now, I'm not really a cake guy anymore. I feel like there's a certain age when you kind of transition out of enjoying cake. And, you know, I would say, I would say almost 100% of the time, if I'm having a piece of cake, it's at a child's birthday party. Absolutely. But, man, when I have a piece of cake, I, I enjoy cake. But if I had cake at every single meal, if I had cake every day, three times a day, there is a point in time when cake kind of just isn't really all that much of like a... It's not a treat anymore if you have it all the time. Happiness can be like that. Happiness can be, so, can be almost so drug-like that we chase the feeling rather than recognizing there are moments and there are seasons of happiness and, there, and then there are times where you're not going to be happy. That's why the Bible says there is a season for all things. There is a time appointed for all things. For the person in the room that you've been miserable for a while, can I give you some hope? You won't always be miserable either. I'm here to say today that we have got to break up with the pursuit of happiness at all costs and replace it with the pursuit of Christ at all costs. See, scripturally, there is no extreme too great in the pursuit of Christ as long as we find it in the Bible. See, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's these, I, I, love, I love this particular passage of scripture because it gives us two almost completely diametrically opposed positions that are still blessed and called by the Lord. There's one that we see early on in Hebrews chapter 11 where all these heroes are winning. They're just winning. Man, they're winning wars, they're winning battles, they're, you know, they're, they're receiving their dead back. I mean, like, they're getting everything that they need. And then there's this other group, right at the end, that the Bible says, and then there were some that were beaten, stoned to death, sawn in two, 
wandering about in, in caves and in holes in the ground, wearing sheepskins and goatskins, mistreated and afflicted, and yet the Bible doesn't say, wow, that was crazy. Do what the first guys did, not the second guys. No, it said the world wasn't worthy of them. And then it says, and all of these were approved. You're approved when you're up and you're in the will of God, and you're approved when you're down and you're in the will of God. Does that make sense? And the reason why is because God made us for himself. He didn't make you just for your sake. He made you to be in relationship with him. He didn't wake up, he didn't make us and say, man, someday these dudes are gonna have pontoon boats. That'll be a wild time. He didn't say, he didn't say, man, I can't wait for the technology to catch up so that like we can all have snowmobiles and experience the highest level of human experience. It's just really funny to me. Like I was thinking about this the other day. How many things we now do as recreation that like our ancestors did just to survive? I thought about, I thought about Abraham and like how his entire, like his, his calling from the Lord was to just wander around in the promised land in a tent. And what we do for funsies in the summertime is we go get a tent and we go camping. And I thought to myself, I wonder how Abraham sees that. The, like, the thing that he did as a, as a promise and the thing that he did just to survive, we're just like, we're going out and just roughing it for a couple of days. But we still take our electricity with us. We still take our cell phones with us. Well, nobody's roughing it. I want to talk just briefly about becoming kingdom-minded. Becoming kingdom-minded. Number one, just a couple of thoughts. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Don't follow your heart. The desires of the heart unwedded from the mind of Christ are typically wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9 says it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, I feel like when I was putting this message together, I'm, I'm kind of going really hard at the notion of happiness today. But I have, I've, I've heard so many people that have either walked away from the faith or, or, or they've torched their lives in some way will come back years later and say things like, oh yeah, but I'm just, gosh, man, I'm just like the happiest I've ever been. Okay. But the problem is, is that you're only thinking about a life right here. You're not thinking about that there's a, like, like Pastor Keanu brought a, brought a word that I think made a lot of people uncomfortable. Why is that? Because we don't like to see God as judge. We don't like to see him. We don't like to see him in this, in this place where there is an actual consequence for how you live your life. Would you rather be happy or in hell? Ah, geez, I'll say it over here. Would you rather be happy or in hell? So for, for, for the person, for the person who, who, who doesn't believe this, I gotta tell you, there is a literal heaven and there is a literal hell and you will go to one of those destinations. There is no neutrality. There's no neutrality in the Bible. 
It's why when, when God, when God, he said this to the Israelites, he said to them, he said, I set before you today a blessing or a curse. I set before you today life or death. And then he says, choose life. It's that simple. Choose life. But man, we've, we've got all these like quasi-theologians these days that are trying to tickle everybody's ears by saying, oh, no, man, that was just like, you know, you got to understand all the cultural context first. You understand the way that the Greeks saw hell and how, how the writers of Scripture were trying to explain hell to these guys. And, and, you know, so really, to be quite honest, there's no hell. Yeah, Jesus spent 33% of his time talking about something that doesn't exist. That makes sense. Sorry, I'm ranting now. Listen, you have an enemy who wants to destroy you. He wants you to go to hell. Be aware of this. Okay. When he told Jesus, when when the devil tempted Jesus, he didn't say, worship me and I'll force you to listen to heavy metal music and crush your soul into oblivion. What did he tell him? He said, worship me, and all the nations of the earth will bow down to you. What was he tempting him with? He was tempting him with the thing that had already been promised to him. He was tempting him with the very thing that had already been promised to him, except what he was saying was, but in this scenario, there's no cross. In this scenario, you get everything that God has said you'll get, but with zero suffering. Boy, that'd be tempting. See, he doesn't tempt us with things that he knows we don't want. He tempts us with what God has already promised just without the process of us receiving it. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching on prayer and the promise. We were talking about the story of of Abraham and Sarah and how on one hand, Abraham had this, this, this promise from the Lord that he would have a son and it would come through his wife. Not through some medium, like, but it would be his and Sarah's descendants. And Sarah took it upon herself because she did not believe fully the promises of God. She took it upon herself to attempt to fulfill God's promises for him. And instead of receiving Isaac, the son of promise, they received Ishmael, the son of the curse. tempts us with what God already promised. Number two, can I have the worshiping God? The question maybe I would have for you is this, before we go to number two. Do you want the best that man can do for your life? Or do you want the best for your life that God can do? What are you willing to wait for in order to receive the promise that God has already given to you? Number two, seek God's will, not his blessing. Seek God's will, not his blessing. Genesis 26, verses 1 to 3. says, Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to, uh, to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. 
And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in the land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. You know, it struck me the other day as I was reading this scripture that, you know, sometimes we think of what was the, what was the, what was the, the kind of religion, for lack of a better term, what did Jacob and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob actually do? Like, they didn't have the Mosaic system. They didn't have the Ten Commandments. They didn't have the priesthood. They didn't have this elaborate set of sacrifices and all of this. All they had, well, from what we can tell, is in Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And on one hand, there's part of me that says, like, that's it. All he had to do was believe. But actually, their faith was a lot more practical than that. They actually had to sojourn in the land. The faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was believing God when he said, wander around the wilderness and I'll provide for you. Go where I tell you and don't go where it's convenient to go. In fact, the one time that we see Abraham completely out of the faith is when he went down to Egypt and all sorts of like debacles ensued. Which is why when the fam, the same kind of famine hit the land, Isaac receives a word from the Lord and says, don't do what your father Abraham did. Trust me. Trust me that if I say go somewhere, I will provide for you when you're there. So Isaac does something that no one else will do. That during a famine, instead of eating his seed crop and running off to Egypt, he actually sowed into the ground and he dug wells where others had already dug and found nothing but sand. Except when Isaac sowed, he received a hundredfold what he sowed. Everybody else was shriveling up. Isaac was cleaning up. Because Isaac knew something. When when you're in the will of God, you don't have to chase water. Water chases you. When you're in the will of God, you don't have to chase water. Water chases you. See, there's so many of us that, like Abraham, we have stepped out of the will of God because it seemed a lot safer in Egypt. And instead of just being where God had us and believing that he's going to provide for all of our needs, we decided, I can't wait for water to show up. I have to go where I know water is. Listen, there are times when God blesses you regardless of your positions, but there's also time when he says, stay in my will and I'll pay all the bills. Isaac stayed in the will of God and God brought increase when everyone else was shriveling up. Can I ask you a question? Is God too small to provide for you? Is God too small to take care of you? Then why do we tell him oftentimes by our actions that he actually is? That we don't actually believe him? That like Abraham in the famine, we decide to go to the place of the enemy's camp instead of saying, no, actually, the Lord told me to stay here. And that in this place, he would provide for me. Friend, I want to encourage you today 
that as we continue in this year, listen, I know that there are, there are people in this room that feel like your well has dried up. Whether that's financial, whether it's spiritual, whether it's a little bit of both, but can I ask you a question? Can I challenge you today to dig the wells again? Because I'm telling you, there is a season that is now upon us in which the Lord is simply saying, if you dig a well, I will fill it. You are not going to have to chase water any longer. When you are in my will, the water will chase you. You know, if you know anything about, anything about history, you know that in the Middle East, water, if you had water, you had something more valuable than gold. Wars were fought over oases. Why did Isaac just give up these wells? If you read back through the story, what you'll find is that the moment contention came, Isaac just abandoned wells. The reason he did was because he understood that what God had told him was, listen, wherever you go, I'm going to bless you. As long as you're in my will, everywhere that you put a spade into the ground is going to spring up a river of living water. He didn't have to fight for the wells because all he had to do was say, okay, whatever, I'll just go dig another one. You guys can have this one. And eventually, there was space made for him because he was in the will of God. Man, so many of us, our prayer is God bless me. Lord bless me. God, I need this. God, I need that. Friend, can I tell you that more than blessing, what you need is to be in the will of God. Because if you find yourself in the will, if you find yourself where God wants you, the provision and blessing that you need is already in the ground of that place. The water will chase you. I'm closing up here. Do you know that the average... New Year's resolution lasts six weeks. I actually purposely don't start my New Year's resolutions until the middle of February, so I'm not part of the statistic. I hit the gym next week, thank you. Man, there's some people in the room that you already feel like, Man, I, I thought I set myself to seek the Lord this year. And I heard that, that message Pastor Stephen preached, and I was like, yes, I'm going to seek the Lord. And if you feel like you've already failed, that you're already kind of back to your old ways and your old shenanigans. But can I tell you that even though January went by really, really fast, it's not too late to set the priorities of your life straight. Can I tell you what January 1st is? It was a Monday. It was a day. You know, can I tell you another great day to set yourself to seek the Lord? This Monday. And you know what? If, if you wake up and, and you've got the flu and you're puking your guts out, another great day to set yourself to seek the Lord is a Tuesday. And if you get hit by a car and you find yourself in the hospital and you wake up on a Friday, can I tell you what another great day to set yourself to seek the Lord is? Turns out it's a Friday. God is not limited 
God is not limited by our dates. He's not limited by anything except are we going to be like Isaac and say, you know what? No matter what happens, no matter the famine that I feel like I'm experiencing, I'm going to stay in the will of God. I'm going to stay in the place where he said, even though, even though there's no rain, I'm going to cause wells to spring up. It's not too late to give him your first and best. It's not too late to reset your priorities to seek his kingdom. It's not too late to set your heart to seek the Lord first. It's not too late to fix your eyes on Jesus who finishes every work that he starts. It's not too late to believe the report of the Lord. It's not too late to see God's promises come to pass. It's not too late to watch what God will do with your simple obedience. It is not too late to watch him do immeasurably more than you could hope for or imagine. It is not too late to surrender your whole heart to him. And it is not too late to give him the glory and the honor and the praise that is due his name. Come on, can we stand up this morning? I just want to take a few minutes and go back into worship and just ask the Lord, man, if you're in this place... If you're in this place and you already have felt discouraged, friend, I want to tell you today, the word of the Lord today for you is keep digging wells. When you're in the will of God, water follows you. Come on, let's worship this morning.
I feel like I want to pray for somebody this morning. If it's February and you're already discouraged, I want to pray for you. And I also, I also want to pray if you're in this place and you realize that like, and we go back to Matthew 6 where Jesus says, don't worry about anything and you kind of scoffed at that verse. I want to pray for you also. Can I tell somebody in the room today, anxiety is not your portion. I'm going to say it again. Anxiety is not your portion. You don't have to have it. It doesn't have to keep attacking you. Anxiety is not your portion. Actually, can I tell you what is? Peace. If you're in the room this morning and you you have found yourself discouraged about where you feel like you are in the Lord, if you have found yourself anxious, even if you found yourself depressed, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you today. And I'm expecting that the Spirit of God is going to fall in this house and heal minds and restore confidence and move in your life again. If you're somebody also that you're like, I don't know if I'm in God's will. Lord, speak to me. Man, raise your hand. I'm going to pray that God divinely imparts wisdom to you today. Heavenly Father, for every person this morning that's saying, I'm anxious, I'm discouraged, I'm beat up, I don't even know if I'm in the right place. God, I thank you that you have every answer, that you have every balm, that you are the the shalom of our hearts. So God, I pray peace over the anxious this morning. God, I pray peace over the anxious this morning. I pray that the supernatural joy of the Spirit over the depressed today. God, I pray for vision and direction for those that are asking, God, I want to be in your will. I don't want to be outside of the will because I want to be inside of the blessing. God, right now, Holy Spirit, would you fall in this house? Do what only you can do. I don't have magic words here. But God, I thank you that you're doing work in hearts today, right now. Anxiety is being crushed in this place. Depression is being dissipated like a bad storm in this house. Vision is springing up like wells in this place. God, right now, I thank you for the work you're doing in this house. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a praise this morning. Hey, we're going to have some prayer teams come forward at this time. If you have anything that you need prayer for, we would love to pray with you. If you're a visitor here with us for the first time, we'd love to connect with you. On the way out, please swing by the information desk. We have a gift for you, and we'd love to connect with you. I'm going to pray a quick blessing over you, and we'll dismiss. God, I thank you for this wonderful people. Lord, I pray you would bless them and keep them. Lord, cause your face to shine upon them. Lord, lift your countenance towards them and give them peace. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. All right, church, you're dismissed. Have a wonderful week.